Hey, Ding Dongs, welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast normally about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's late for marriage equality class. It's my sister, Marissa. Hey, legs. Hey. <laughs> legs. Legs. Your name is Legs. If I call you Legs. Oh, my God. That was my favorite one. That guy was really trending more like, I'm not even sure what, like Irish or Scottish yes, or something? Yes, I, I detected a little bit of Irish in there, yeah. But I thought everybody else Welsh? did Welsh? <laughs> Who knows? So while The Good Place is on hiatus, we're looking at other shows that are related to The Good Place in some way, and we're starting with a theme that we like to call Amramica the Beautiful, uh, watching other shows that Megan Amram has written for. So last week, we dissected a couple Parks and Rec episodes, and this week we are talking about two episodes of Comedy Central's Kroll Show, which aired for a few years, I think 2012 or 2013 to 2015, about. And before we get started, just a little housekeeping up front, you can find us on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and at goodplay.cast.rocks. If you'd like to, please rate and review us on iTunes. You can also follow us on uh, Facebook. We have a group called The Good Play, Twitter at The Good Play Pod, and Gmail at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. We had zero emails from last week's episode. (laughs) Okay, but I am still getting um, Avengers theories from some of my friends and coworkers, so if we want, we can talk (laughs) about that at the end. Yeah, we'd have to save it for the end so people who haven't seen it yet can turn it off. Who hasn't seen Avengers? Get on it! I mean, look, there are people like me who have small children and are just trying to keep it together long enough. <laughs> That's true. I say my my general policy is no spoilers until it gets released on like DVD and Blu-ray, at which point you have to give up the ghost. Yeah. Get it on Redbox at that point for crying out loud. Yeah. Rent it on Google Play. After you're done listening to us, you can go to Google Play and rent. <laughs> there you go. So I, I'm i not entirely sure. This is not a uh, Kroll show. You know, we're going to dive in a little bit, but Kroll show's not the same kind of sitcom that uh, Parks and Rec was or that The Good Place is. So, you know, I have that we're going to do like a little recap of each episode, but I don't even know quite how to do that because it's more of a sketch show. So, yeah, I mean, we can kind of talk about what sketches there are. So obviously, I think Megan Amram wrote there on the first season. And then I think she left after that. Okay. Yeah, these are both episodes. So I should say we're talking about the episodes San Diego Diet, which is which the, is the very pilot first, episode. Yeah. yeah, the pilot. Yeah. And then the second one is called Too Much Tuna. Uh, which, which is, is very famous, and I was like, okay, because everyone's like, oh, too much. You can buy like too much tuna T-shirts, and I was like, here we go. This is going to be the real funny one. And then I like watch it. I was like, oh, this isn't okay. So they have a they have they had a Broadway show. Nick right. Kroll and John Mulaney did a Broadway show called Too Much Tuna, where they like, and it's on Netflix. You can watch. I thought it was called Oh Hello. It is called Oh Hello. I'm sorry, but yes, it's based on. So the original sketch, I think, is called Oh Hello, and the Too Much Tuna is their prank show. <laughs> yes. And so Oh Hello is a Broadway, like, they created a Broadway show out of it. And it's actually, like, not that bad. Like, it's pretty funny. I mean, I love, we love Mulaney. Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, you and I went to go see John Mulaney in D.C. Yes. Um, last year. Hysterical. That, great. that show is also on Netflix that we saw. And, um... 
too much tuna is a part of the broadway show where they they bring someone up on stage and they like a famous person they bring a famous person up on stage and they interview them for a little bit but it's like a really ridiculous interview and then they give them a too much it kind of reminds me of that remember when martin short pretended to be like some weirdo fat guy yes yes i do i i don't remember his character yeah i can see that i can see that and they they so they bring a famous person up on stage and they prank quote unquote prank that person with too much tuna and the famous person has to be like that's too much tuna (laughs) Um, and i mean the the most charitable explanation i have is that this was the first season and so they were finding their sea legs with this kind of stuff (laughs) genuinely like let me me back up it's been funny like i watched oh hello and i found a lot of it funny so this seeing the beginnings of it i was like oh this is just like very weird (laughs) i just want five minutes to talk about sketch comedy shows in general sure i have uh, i have loved some sketch comedy shows and i have disliked ones that i thought that i should like uh, certainly my first introduction to sketch comedy shows was the same as everybody's, which was Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. And I have sort of, you know, now, I, like everybody else, I kind of watch the popular ones that bubble up on YouTube. But, I, you know, I used to watch it for real. And, you know, I think SNL is an institution and it and it has a lot of value. And I, I at least am usually laughing at something, right? Even if I mostly Keenan Thompson at this point, <laughs> Keenan Thompson is so. I mean, you and Bran and I are the exact right age to have like exactly followed Keenan Thompson throughout his entire career. Yes, all that. You know, we, we used to watch him on all that when we were little. You know, he's probably I don't know. He's probably like five years older than us or something. So yes, we watched him on all that as when we were kids, and then when he graduated to SNL, like basically, so did we. We did not watch that burger movie. I did. Good you Burger? Did? Oh, I, I'm, excuse me. You watched the, the Burger movie. Okay. I've definitely seen Good Burger. <laughs> okay. He's, he's uh, 40 years old, by the way. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. He's a little more than, a little more than almost exactly five years on us. Um, So, on me, I should say. So, there's that. And then, so I would say, in terms of sketch comedy in, in the last decade, Key and Peele, to my mind, is the absolute top Oh, of the my heap. God. Yes. <clears throat> I have watched. Oh, oh! I should say chronologically prior to Key and Peele, I've watched also all of uh, a bit of Fry and Laurie. Uh, I think I've actually watched that through twice. I love a bit of Fry and Laurie. I think it's fantastic. You know, it's a little more absurdist. It's very British, but it's like Key and Peele in that there's like only two people who are really kind of doing all the sketches. You know, sometimes yeah. Key and Peele and even Fry and Laurie would get like a, an extra to kind of come in and do a little part, but for the most part, just the two of them. So Fry and Laurie's great. Monty Python. I never really. Wa- I mean, like, I, the, it's heresy, but I never really watched Flying Circus. I've seen, a, I've seen a couple of the movies, but I've never really seen Flying Circus. But Key and Peele, you know, in my opinion, is some of the greatest comedy that's been made. You know, recently, the end. Right. I, I mean, agree with that. Key and Peele is so good. And then, you know, I tried to watch Amy Schumer, and you know, what, what's her show called? Inside just- Inside Amy Schumer. Thank you. And even though I really, you know, Amy Schumer made a movie that I really liked called Trainwreck. And in fact, it featured Brie Larson, who is in the first episode of The Kroll Show that we watched. I didn't catch that. <clears throat> she was the girlfriend in the first sketch. Oh, okay. But I, I can't stand inside Amy Schumer. There are occasional sketches from it that I like and, and get shared around on YouTube, and I, and I like those. But it actually kind of, I kind of dislike it intensely for the same reasons I was not crazy about The Kroll Show. Which is that it's a it's a little more 
you know, Key and Peele are always trying to say something. Yeah. And maybe sometimes it's just, don't get me wrong, Key and Peele have absurdist humor, right? Yeah. There's that, there's that continental breakfast sketch that, like, I could not explain to you. If you had, even if you'd watched it, I don't think I'd be able to have an intelligent conversation about it. Basically, someone just getting really excited about a continental, continental I've seen breakfast. That, yeah. and, and then I think, like, they're actually dead or something. You know, it's very, like, The Shining. Like, I, I can't... It's not like Key and Peele never did just comedy for comedy's sake. But the the Key and Peele sketches that stick out in your mind, for the most part, are the ones that actually had something to say, usually about race, sometimes about gender in America. Yeah. And, you know, they stick with you because they are, first and foremost, hilarious, but then they also were intelligent and deep and thoughtful. Yeah. Like the TED talk about with the two guys who are telling men to like shut up and get off women about their periods. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, there are there's also just like them playing house music really loud. I'm not again, it's not every sketch, but but they, yeah. but Key and Peele had a sensibility of yeah, we're going to like really kind of uh, pick at America's scabs, which I'm sorry, that's a gross analogy, but like. America has a lot of sore points and we're going to like poke those and and we're go- and that's how we're going to make our comedy for the And it's you know. also the balance between two people rather than creating a, a show around the sensibility of one person like oh, the, saying, like Schumer or Kroll. Like Schumer or Kroll because you know even um I never really watched Mad TV Oh, no, uh, me either. I mean, we caught it once in a blue moon in syndication. But, but like shows like In Living Color and shows like uh, SNL, you know, they have the benefit of a writer's room where you get and, and a whole bunch of staff writers and all the people, you know, well, who are, so, do, so do Schumer and Kroll, right? That, that's true. But like you, I think you have a, the benefit of a whole bunch of people contributing to one. The show's allowed to be a little bit more diverse and in, in terms of like who controls the overall message because like it's not as if snl every week has a theme right right no and there's not even i mean at snl there's a, i'm sure there's a head writer and obviously lauren michaels still has a lot of power but it's not called the keenan thompson show it should be <laughs> <laughs> but it should be the kate mckinnon show right it should, it should be, be the, the kate, kate mckinnon, mckinnon and keenan thompson the show. kate and keenan show i yes. was by the way Kate and Keenan, if you want to do a spinoff, like just a Key and Peele-esque show where it's just the two of you, I will um, watch it. What wa- are you going to promise? <laughs> I will um, quit my life and come work for you. I don't know in what capacity, <laughs> but I would do it. But so I think, and I also think, yeah, so I, I just feel like maybe that's part of it where with Key and Peele, you have the sensibilities of two people and like, I've heard interviews with Keegan Michael Key where like he talks about the fact that he and Jordan are very different and have Oh very- yeah, they're very different. Key is like like super hyper and always up and Peel is like very even keeled. Right. And so you can see both of those sens- sensibilities are kind of brought to bear whereas I think particularly in the first season of Kroll Show, which is the episodes that we watched, you know, I like a lot of Nick Kroll's like I, I've seen him in other things and I, I like him a lot in other things but I, I am don't... shocked that he dated uh, Amy Poehler I mean yes. it just seems like well they were on oil, he... oil and water he was on Parks and Rec um, so I don't know if that's where they met or what but he plays a shock jock on Parks and Rec who underneath the shock jock exterior is actually like 
a very thoughtful guy who like studied like went to an ivy league school and studied like semiotics and like the shock jock (laughs) persona was just sort of a a goof and then it became like a real job for him and so that's almost kind of how i feel about nick kroll like i don't believe i've read interviews with him i don't believe he's this sort of like crass in real life as he is well that's the thing and that's the whole ethos of this show it's just crass and and i I agree and and like that's by and large that's not funny to me even if something is kind of intrinsically a bit funny something that keeps leaning on crassness as the genesis of of its humor is always going to fall flat for me and that's for me a, a, a large part of why amy schumer fails now amy schumer i'm talking about her her sketch show specifically obviously amy schumer has more to say than nick kroll does or at least yes you know just from these two episodes of, of the kroll show she has more to say about women and body issues but she's also very tone deaf on race and a lot of other things mm. so I, I could never and she's also she's just very crass like that's just yeah. kind of who she is and for me you know that that's a big turnoff so yeah the 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 Schumer, the Amy Schumer sketches that I remember and that stand out to me as ones that I related to is like the group of women who are complimenting yes, each other in a yes, circle. That's the only one that I can think of that I'm like, yes, I love that sketch. And the o- the other one that that I really like and really felt was actually pretty powerful was after a mass shooting. <laughs> uh, she, which unfortunately we have had many since, but she did a sketch of basically that was lampooning how easy it was to buy a gun and she was she played essentially like a qvc type show host where they were selling guns for really cheap and you don't need a license and you don't need a permit and you don't need id and you don't need this and you don't need that and the show ends with her co-host accidentally shooting himself <laughs> like not fatally but like it's 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 supposed to be and the the sketch was done in conjunction with every town for gun safety, which is a a big um, organization uh, about, you know, what their name says, gun safety. So that to me was the same kind of thing. Like I could potentially see that on key and peel or something like that, where you are, as you said, kind of picking at the scabs or like poking at the sore points of America and saying, this is a, this is an issue, but most of her, but I don't remember most of the other of the sketches that I've seen from her. So I have to so I have to say something specifically about guns, which is that I watch these. We are recording this uh, on Saturday, May the nineteenth. I watch these episodes on Friday, May the eighteenth, which Me is too. the same day that uh, there was a very fatal school shooting in Santa Fe, Texas. Is that correct, Santa Fe, Texas? Yeah. And there are two gun-related sort of sketches that happen in within these two episodes. I'm not sure where they fall exactly. And wow, did they fall flat for me. And and it's not as though this was made 50 years ago, right? <laughs> like, th- there is a, there's a sketch where a, a robot dude guns Nick Kroll down in just the most, like, ridiculous, over-the-top way possible. And it's not particularly funny, as far as I'm concerned. No, I didn't find that one particularly funny. And also, like... Is there really nothing in your head when you are making a sketch comedy show that goes, I don't know if I should be invoking a slaughter like this for the sake of comedy. Is there really nothing in you that goes, 
hey, it's, I don't know, 2012 or whatever. And, you know, Gabby Giffords probably just, you know, just barely survived an assassination attempt. You know, just picking out a random horrible gun violence incident, you know, yeah. that may have happened around that time. I might have the timing slightly off, but I think you you catch my drift. Like, that, and so that's exactly the kind of thing that Key and Peele would never have done. They would never have just sort of been like, oh yeah, let's, um, the funny thing about this sketch is that the robot reacts badly and uh, murders this guy in cold blood by shooting him 800 times. That's the punchline. Yeah. Like, Key and Peele would never have done that. And obviously, Amy Schumer after, so Amy Schumer specifically has this big, she has a, I was going to say she has a big target on guns, but that's probably <laughs> not the right way to phrase that. She, she, that's an issue she cares deeply about because somebody was murdered at a screen with a gun at a, at a screening of her movie Trainwreck. And I yeah. believe it was the motive of the gunman was sort of a misogynist, you know, screw women and their are. women <laughs> movies. No, look, I know, but. <laughs> I don't that's think a, she, that's a different podcast. <laughs> yes. I don't think that guy randomly walked into Trainwreck, right? I think he walked into Trainwreck very Trainwreck is the name of the movie. I think he walked yeah. into Trainwreck very specifically. Yeah. And and so it's hard for me also to imagine even before that incident, it's hard for me to imagine Amy Schumer making that the punchline of one of her sketches is, "Oh yeah, someone's just going to get gunned down, you know, very violently and that's that's the fun that's the quote-unquote funny part of this joke, right?" Yeah. So this is why like Curl show and you know and SNL even SNL is a freaking ancient beast at this point. I mean, it's yeah. just you know it's going around with one tooth and drooling. But even <laughs> that, you know that that's not a sketch that they would do. Where the punchline is just somebody getting you know gunned down. Her. I mean, now that's partly that's a function of like they're doing it with a studio audience and it's a little harder to do. But like. So so that sort of sums up Kroll Show for me in a, in a nutshell of like, it's just this guy who's doing things he thinks are funny and, and he seems to have no awareness Irrespective of, of the sort of cultural moment. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and and so I was like, well, this is not like, uh, I, I, I don't I don't know why this is something that, you know, see, it, it seems to have been like wildly popular. It, it, I hear it get quoted a lot. You know, yeah. obviously they, they got a Broadway show spinoff. And I'm just like, it's just some clueless white dude just being a clueless white dude and saying things he thinks are funny. And they're not especially funny. And there's no deeper sensibility and like, whatever. But yeah, I mean, I in in I've seen other sketches from this show that I really like, but I don't. I like them because they're silly. I don't like them because they have like some sort of like deeper commentary on America, the way that some SNL sketches do or the way that Key and Peele would. I like them because they're just like fluffy. And Uh, I should, I should say like, it's not as though I demand all of my comedy to be, you know, deeply political. Like I, the, probably the, the things that you would label as funny that I have watched the most times are particular episodes of mystery science theater 3000, which I I love that basically there are certain episodes of that. I could basically recite every single quip in them. Yeah. And those are mostly not political at all. No, but, but there's something about the sketch show format that I think to me demands a kind of, a kind of sensibility that aligns itself to being at least somewhat aware of the world around it. I don't know why that is. I don't know why I have that that idea or that belief. Well, because I think if you if you I'm thinking about if you're somebody who 
wants a sketch show, right? I'm imagining you saying like, I have something to say. Like I, I'm a, like, I, I feel this way kind of about stand-up comedians, right? Like I have something to say and you're going to like, this is a format in which I, I'm going to stand up here or like Kroll does some stand-up bits at the beginning of each show. Oh, they show. were not good. They weren't good. I was like, man, I mean, and again, like I've seen him in other things. I think he's like a funny guy, but to me, I was almost like, isn't You're- he the, like the creative force behind that 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 Netflix cartoon about puberty? Yes, which I love. Okay, I love. I mean, it's it's what's it called? Um, op- uh, mouth, big mouth. Sorry, took me a while. <laughs> big, it's called Big Mouth, and it's very funny. But because it has some, it has a very particular point of view, and it is about something that is relatable to almost like it was. I was watching it just cringing because it was so relatable to me because it's about these teenagers going through puberty and it is because it's a cartoon it's allowed to be a little bit more absurdist and there are basically literal puberty monsters that show up and are like hey uh i'm a part of your life now and you can't get rid of me and it's the it's all of the they are the embodiments of like all of the embarrassment and all of the shame that you feel and all of the like questions that you have and you don't there's a great and Maya Rudolph plays the female puberty monster and she's hysterical and Nick Kroll voices the other puberty monster. I willingly watch those seventh generation commercials that she does because I love her so much. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, that has that has more of a sensibility to it than this does, right? Like that has more of a connection uh to the audience and is about a particular experience, but it, it's it has a, a very like relatable point of view whereas i feel like this show you know the the sketches that it, i yeah, love it really has no point of view does it yeah i mean or it has here's what i th- think and maybe this isn't fair because it's not like i don't know nick kroll personally okay um <laughs> stop the presses ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> i know you're all shocked that i don't i know thought nick he was kroll. your date to the royal wedding hashtag relevant <laughs> but he i feel like this show is what he thinks other people on Comedy Central, like other people who watch Comedy Central are going to find funny. I I don't know that for a fact, but it's like, what's the... De- I mean, I think that... So that sketch that you mentioned about the robot that guns down Kroll's character, that is a meeting about television marketing for 18 to 34-year-old men. Which could have I, been know- interesting. It could have been interesting. Also, I was watching it. I was going, is that true? Do marketers really want to still get to 18 to 34 year old men? Because I'm pretty sure that like most of the purchasing power is with slightly older women. Well, I think to me, it wasn't, that was probably more of a commentary. Now, again, I'm being generous because I don't actually know. But to me, that was probably more of a commentary on what it's like to market shows on Comedy Central, particularly at that time. Yes, that's a good point. I did not think of that. So if you are making a show on Comedy Central in like 2012, you know, and maybe pitching it in 2010, 2011, they are probably having a lot of conversations about will 18 to 34 year old men respond to this and how will they respond to it? It's the same. Schumer kind of does the same thing where she has a 12 Angry Men spinoff where it's a bunch of um, focus group guys from a focus group in a room talking about whether or not she's actually attractive. 
I have heard of this. It's one of her more famous sketches. Yeah, I've seen it. I, I like it. But it's... So to me, it maybe was almost that kind of a thing where, like, I could imagine that the demographic... Like, we are not the demo- the key demographic <laughs> for this show. No. And to be fair, I was introduced... Wait a minute. I'm... I, we're in the age range. We're in the age range. We're just not in the gender range. We're not in the... They don't... Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, I was introduced to Kroll Show by uh, an ex-boyfriend of mine who was is was raised in Brooklyn and really loves Bobby, Bobby Bottle Service, which was not a character we saw in these episodes, which kind of I was like, oh, then I could, you know, make some connection. But he, he thought that character was really funny because it was kind of like this you know really tough on the exterior like a tough guido kind of a guy who then like is actually like a soft marshmallow in the middle and loves his mom a lot (laughs) um and so anyway like but that's you know the guy i was dating was in that age range he liked some of the characters and he introduced me to it and what i found funny is the stuff like what we mentioned in the last episode which is like pennsylvania but i find that funny because i'm from pennsylvania and i think the philly accent is hilarious so like i could relate to that right the stuff about like sex in the city for dudes which is in one of these episodes i'm still not sure what that sketch was supposed to be me neither i was like i was like are we supposed to I thought it was going to be like, well, they start. I thought it was going to be a viewing party for Sex in the City that, like, all these dudes are like, oh, yeah, let's get a table at the bar. And then it turns out that they're showing Sex in the City at the bar or something. I thought that would have been really funny. Um, The thing, (laughs) or like the thing I had in mind was it starts out and, like, they're all being, like, real tough or real, you know, like, hard around each other. And then a couple drinks in they start to like talk about how much they want to be married or how much they you know like all the yes. things that the sex in yeah. the city women get together and talk uh-huh. about yeah so that but, might have made sense as well it, this, so I, I i don't imagine most people actually watch these episodes who are listening to this uh podcast because i had to pay three dollars a piece for them on on amazon yeah. incidentally if we ever try to get any money for doing this show which i think is a very long shot uh, it, it will only be to pay me back for these things that i have to buy <laughs> for this show i don't want to yeah. make money i just want to break even. You, you just want to be reimbursed for your <laughs> yes for your, i wish i could yeah. write this off but it's <laughs> anyway um so 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 this is it's a bunch of dudes it's a bunch of comedians and in fact so some of the guys who are there include jason manzoukas who is Dukes. derek on uh the good place and Eleanor's creepy boss from the fake pharmaceutical company. His, Unfortunately, his I don't know. His name is, uh, I think that's Seth someone. I'm going to look him up. Okay. Um, so he's there too. So it's a bunch of like male comedians around the same age. You know, Kroll's obviously there. Uh, Ed Helms is there. And they just, it's kind of them getting together. And once in a while, it just breaks to a bunch of them, you know, just talking to the camera in a in a white room and they're just going sex in the city for dudes and it do, it never coalesces into anything it's just these random clips of them hanging out at, playing basketball on their phones at the bar and then they just but it just cuts to them singing sex in the city for dudes and it, it just never turns and into anything and it gets anything. more and more like they it, it's almost to me it was the worst version of when Patton Oswalt does that bit about how he shock jocks his life because it's so boring. Like this was from a couple Patton Oswalt specials ago, but like when his I daughter have listened to a lot of them, when his daughter was really young 
And he's like, you know, sometimes like you just go through your day and you're just like, you just shock jock your life because it's like, it's just, you're doing the most boring things like, um, you know, watching TV in my underwear when <laughs> yes. I should be teaching my daughter to read like that. <laughs> That's not really shock jock. He's or, singing. You know what I mean? You know, like, but I don't remember exactly what he called it. He like, yeah. you know, made his life into like a he does that a lot like band. all his comedy specials now he'll just sort of randomly be like eating the frozen pizza <laughs> yeah. it's really bad for me but like, like that is that's funny because he's because he says other words in between those words yes <laughs> But yeah, this I didn't get the Sex and the Saber Dudes thing at all. So yeah, so we're kind of going through at this point. We're kind of going through that first uh, episode called San Diego Diet. Um, yeah. We're not going to hit everyone, but no, the the curl stand up is terrible. It's about men won because men's shoes are comfortable and women's shoes aren't. And he and he makes it out as though women got together and decided that women should wear high heels, which is the most asinine deaf. <laughs> interpretation of the fashion industry you could ever imagine it's just like oh boy buddy you really i mean didn't amy poehler beat any sense into you Come i on. think this is well before they were together i don't i don't is that true 2012 I, I think she was wasn't she she's still married at that point oh whatever um there's this recurring sketch through both episodes called publicity it's two women named Liz. One of them is played by Nick Kroll, which is already kind of a red flag for me. So <laughs> men doing women in drag in comedy has this like really long history. And there's so many examples. Certainly Monty Python is one. Certainly uh, Fry and Laurie is another. And Key it and really... Peel too. Key and Pe- oh, it was Megan? Megan. Yes. Oh, God. That's actually Andre super and funny. Megan. Yeah. <laughs> So and Megan pre- is actually kind of like the Liz's. Yes. Yeah. So, I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about this when it happens, and it always is a little context dependent. But usually, this is done because the man wants to mock something that is, is femininity, basically. Some aspect of femaleness that the man wants to mock. It's never, it's very rarely... That so now kids in the hall did this. Kids in the hall, they would just. Do I crop- loved kids in the hall. Yeah, right. Yeah, we yeah. Kids in the hall is classic. But although oh, some of it does not hold up, did you know there's blackface in kids in the hall? By I the did way? not know that. Never mind. Yes, Mark McKinney <laughs> does blackface in kids. In the- if you ever go back and watch it, you're like, oh my god, you're like turning to people who aren't even there on your couch. Like, <laughs> do you, is he? Is am I seeing this? Is he doing blackface? It's that I whole know. smoking on a night train, chewing on a jelly uh, roll. Thing. Oh, I enjoyed that as a child i know i know it's oh boy no yeah but so kids in the hall would do cross-dressing and it wasn't intended necessarily to mock femininity it was just like they needed a female character in the sketch and they almost never hired extras so like dave oh what's his name dave foley so dave foley would just like dave foley what? what? No, I'm just remembering all the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. having kids. See, in the hall he would just like dress up as a woman and just be a female character, and he would just be like a normal female character in a comedy sketch, and that was just kind of how they rolled. Yeah. Um. I, this publicity thing in Kroll Show, I had a heart. I it, it kind of it started off as like mildly humorous to me, and then I was like, oh boy, you well, know. Like, I think you the also whole joke is like these women are ridiculous. Well, okay, <sighs> I'm going to. I am going to just guess here, based on our lives, that I have watched a considerable amount more of 
reality television about ridiculous women than you have. Oh, yeah. I don't know that I've ever watched any. Yeah. So I've definitely watched more than you have. And I mean, you don't, you don't, you wouldn't count like, uh, what not to wear like that's no 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 no. i'm they're lampooning with publicity they are specifically lampooning shows like real housewives and vanderpump rules yeah no i've never seen any of that i've heard kathy griffin talk about it i have gotten yeah um that is the way to consume all cultures through the lens of kathy griffin sure i am like slightly ashamed to say that I have watched Real Housewives. I have not religiously, but like I would watch it every once in a while. And one of my guilty pleasure shows for a while when I had cable was Vanderpump Rules. And so if you don't have a context, is that like is that a sentence Vanderpump Rules or like is it a is it a phrase the rules of Vanderpump? I think that that is supposed to be the second okay. one. Lisa Vanderpump, as Kathy Griffin would say, I don't think that's her baptismal name. Um, Lisa Vanderpump from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills co-owns a couple of restaurants in LA and Vanderpump is about the people who work at one of her restaurants and they are all they're like around my age and they're all like the worst people in the entire world and it's like and that's sort of the joke of publicity right is that these two women are the worst yes and that's the so that's and also i will say one of my other guilty pleasure shows is million dollar listing which is a lot about like when you hear the publicity girls say like this is our client and he's very he wants what he wants and he he knows what he wants and he wants times so that is that's like basically they're making a joke out of it because all their clients are normal people and they're the screw-ups. But on shows like Million Dollar Listing or Millionaire Matchmaker or Ellie, they're dealing with very um, like high-maintenance uh, clients. And so that's the sort of joke for that. And the publicity women, like the fact that they keep saying, like, I just want to have a life and like you're the, you know, workaholic, that is straight out of, you know, all of the Real Housewives show where they you basically create a personality for yourself and you have to like hammer at home like every time you have a conversation. But if you don't have any like so I found it funnier probably than you did because I have that reference point. But if you don't have the reference point, it really doesn't make any sense. That goes back to our conversation about who is this show really for? Would an 18 to 34 year old guy have a reference point uh, for publicity? I don't question. know. I so my my the way I came down on publicity at the end of the day was I think if they had kept it to one segment or at most two segments I would have been like oh that was kind of humorous but it kept coming back in both episodes yeah. it was like over it was the only through line for both episodes like over and over and I was just like all right enough already like <laughs> you find these women ridiculous I get it like there's not much more of a joke here than that I will say Jenny Slate commits 100% she does and I do love the way they both say the word amazing um, <laughs> and the way they overuse it yeah it's it's very true to the sort of dialectic of certain kinds of women in this day and age yeah i also like with it when they're having a fight they like stop talking and just sort of start like shrieking nasally <laughs> yes yeah um but yeah i mean i think should we talk about maybe ones that we thought were more successful so the only thing that 
in the first episode that actually succeeded for me in any real way was Wheels Ontario. Me too. I liked Wheels Ontario. Which I had seen clips of on YouTube before. I had actually sought it out because a podcast that I love. Let me let me go buzz market another podcast that everybody can stop listening to this one and listen to this one. But TBTL is one of my favorite podcasts, uh, Too Beautiful to Live. And they use they use a lot of audio drops in their show. And one of the ones they use over and over again is, so who is the other guy in this, sh- in this thing? The, the teacher? And John the, Daly. John Daly. He's also, also the other one in uh, Rich Dicks in the second episode that we yeah. watched. John Daly being like, ooh, look who's tardy coming in here at 100 kilometers per hour, like John Otto or whatever. Like, or I'm, like they, they use that over and over again. And I find it so, so it's like, look, it's making fun of Canada. Let's just get it out there. But it's it's making fun of Canada, but it's also making fun of America, Yes, yes, because so this and I, is, I don't consider making fun of Canada to be punching down, right? They're doing fine. They're great, actually. Um, and so what I responded to in Wales, Ontario, other than it was just fun, like so Wales, Ontario is kind of like what is it, Degrassi? A Degrassi, Degrassi, yeah. It's a Degrassi. It's a Degrassi parody, yeah. Which I never watched, but wasn't Drake on Degrassi? Yes. Okay. He was. <laughs> And so I never watched it, so I don't really have a reference point. But I, there are enough shows about like high school and all that kind of, where you kind of get the the feel for it. And like, for me, what worked about this show was like whenever I mean, other than the accents and the oh look look who hey legs and like you know <laughs> look who's tardy and like that kind of stuff. I thought the, the whole th- the inventor of Canadian electricity. <laughs> yeah, like I thought the whole thing was funny for all of the sort of like audio gags about like the accent and that and that kind of stuff. But uh, it was also like the moments where you know Mikey's Kroll's mom Cole plays a kid named Mikey and uh, his mom. He's always shaking his hair out of his face. Yes. Uh, which is very uh, like Justin Bieber circa this time. So right, I Bieber appreciate is Canadian. It. I mean, yeah. that's supposed to be like a direct parallel. His mom, played by Catherine Hahn, who I love her and everything that she does, says, like, I got pregnant with you in grade 13. And he goes, oh, mom, our national health system pays for abortions. And then that comes back I, I around want again. To believe, I want to believe Megan Amram wrote that line. Well, I really yes. want to believe. And then, I bet she was one of the only women in the writer's room. I would bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then later when he meets uh, Toons, uh, one the... Asian girl in the wheelchair. So everybody in this high school is in a wheelchair. Francesca, I think, is her actual name, but yeah. And she says, I gotta go. I'm late for marriage equality class. <laughs> like, and this was, you know, in this was after well before we, you know, passed marriage equality federally. So it would have been after it was legal in certain states, including like Massachusetts and Iowa, but after we had it, but sorry, but before we had it nationally, but after Canada had it nationally. Although yeah. Canada was, it's not like Canada was miles ahead of us on this front. They really did. They they were almost as late to the game as we were. So let's not give them too much credit. <laughs> okay, but I can still give them credit for getting there sooner than us, federally. Sure. And then in... That comes up again in uh, episode four, Too Much Tuna, when, you know, there's Toons says at the end of the episode, I'm pregnant. And he says, oh, well, you know, our health system pays for abortions. Like it comes up uh, unlike America, right? He actually says something like, you know, not like America. Yeah. So I actually brought this up in our in our last podcast, but I do want to say that I I don't love that 
I know it's a fake show within a show, and I know it's all supposed to be comedy or whatever, but it does turn out that it's the coach who has gotten her pregnant. Uh, I think? I don't remember. I, I No, think. I do remember okay. this. And uh, she does not get an abortion, although that would be a pretty great storyline. You know, so she's, you know, hugely pregnant, and then she has a baby, and it's the coaches, and it's just gross. And That is gross, yeah. But like again, it, it, like it, it, that yeah. would have been a that would have been a situation where maybe if you had a different sensibility about the show, you would say, "Okay, well, we're making all of these remarks about how our national health system pays for abortions. Why can't she get an abortion? And also, like, why couldn't it have been like another kid at the school or something so that we wouldn't have had this like weird teacher student yeah. relationship?" I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on that, but I I don't like it one bit. Yeah. No, I I hear you. So that was. I think the put a loony in the box for Queen Victoria. Yeah, the whole look. Anytime you want to make fun of Canada, basically, I'm here for it. <laughs> Not because I think Canada is bad or wrong. Quite the opposite. I just it feels like it, you know it feels like good natured sibling rivalry. Kind yeah, of stuff. that's a great way to put it. And and I think you know the the we were talking a little bit before we started recording about like what we liked and what we didn't like or what actually made us laugh. You had mentioned before there was like a gun thing that made that so that's the didn't second work. episode right so in the second episode so yeah we're gonna i guess we're done with we're done with san diego diet i guess at this point brie yeah, larson I does mean, make a cameo but uh, whatever i can't wait for her to be captain marvel we'll talk about that next year yeah i mean the first episode i like i think we covered it i don't really get sex in the city for dudes um nope, and this i wish i did and the san diego diet i was like i thought it was gonna be something and it was nothing and maybe that's the point but also what yeah maybe (laughs) yep i couldn't say it better myself (laughs) so in the second episode uh the cold open we already talked too much tuna yeah yeah that's the uh name of the episode the cold open we already talked about with the 18 to 34 year old men and uh and the tv executive played by uh legend television legend ray wise so that was that was amazing that they got him good pull everyone i mean i don't and i don't know how like if i were ray wise i'd be like this is all you want me to do i I mean i guess so cool are you gonna write me a check (laughs) but if you have ray wise how do you not do a um twin peaks parody of some kind but anyway because not every show can be psych as i want every show to be psych desperately anyway the stand-up bit that was super dumb yeah, I was just again. Like, he's got you- he's got a minute or whatever to do whatever he wants, and he does this the most banal, tired stand up routine you can imagine. It's just like okay about all right. people on cocaine versus people on pot, and it's just like yeah, I'm pretty sure like probably Richard Pryor made these jokes like 40 years ago, <laughs> like do something and original. Also, yeah, I mean, and also he's like I don't know, I guess pot has ruined some people's lives and i was just like so you just undercut your whole cool (laughs) moving on i mean i get i think this is supposed to be potentially a little bit seinfeldian in that the thing that he's talking about on stage has some kind of and key and peel would do this too they would get up at the beginning of an episode and do like a little bit of stand-up yeah yeah but that was usually funny yeah, I mean, that's the differ- great differentiator here. But I can kind of see where, okay, I was like, okay, you're talking about drugs. And then the next segment we get to is Rich Dicks, which, in which Kroll and John Daly play these guys who are... <sighs> the well, whole and- first segment of Rich Dicks is just poop. It's, it's just, just a poop. poop. And it's you just have, poop. You have a child in diapers, so you don't need any more poop in your life. I really don't. <laughs> 
Really don't. It's not like poop is like super gross to me or anything. I guess it's it's the same amount of gross that it is to an average person, but like it's not funny. Yeah. I mean it's And I also didn't need to see John Daly's butt. <laughs> I was like I thought about it and I was like, is was that considered like really controversial at the time to like show <laughs> someone's butt on TV? I don't know. I don't know either. Publicity's back. Oh, you forgot there's there's this through line of this episode of these Asian, it's not made clear if it's Korean or Chinese or Japanese. Maybe if I knew those languages, I'd be able to tell, but I I don't, so I can't. But these Asian commercials that are targeting Americans, and they're obviously dubbed, and I just find the thing, the whole thing, I don't don't want to get too far into it, but I find the whole thing kind of like weirdly xenophobic. Yeah, I mean, this was like when you were talking before about Amy Schumer having like a blind spot about race. This falls into that category for me, too, of like, you know, the so there's three interstitials that happen. And the third one is a commercial for this group of Asian people to basically con Americans into buying digital currency. And so it it gives a context to the first two interstitials that we've seen. But it's not particularly funny. No, no, it's not. None, almost none of this is funny. Right? Okay, this is sort of a baseline assumption you can make that it's not particularly funny. But also, it is sort of a xenophobic. Like, I'm not gonna. Maybe it's racist, but I think specifically because these are foreign, you know, individuals allegedly who are just acting super strange and being almost like Svengali, like you know, like it's just not. Did, did anyone Asian? Was there anyone Asian in the writing room? Was there anyone Asian involved in making the show who was like, you know, I'm not. (laughs) This is like, okay, so we love a, I guess he's not so much a comedian anymore as he is like a pop culture commentator and he has his own media company now. Um, Elon James White. Oh, okay. I was like, who are you talking about? Oh, Elon. Okay. Yeah. And Elon James White talks about. Who is, who is African-American? African-American. He talks about when people are making shows or commentary or any type of media to have, I mean, he's talking about it from the African-American perspective. So he's talking about it as does any, they should have a Jamal in the room. Yes. Meaning that's his his refrain. Yes. yes. So did any, so like he would talk about a show or talk about, you know, some segment on a news network or whatever. And he'd say, was there a Jamal in the room at any point to say like, maybe we shouldn't say this about black people, or maybe we shouldn't make this, assumption because from my you know from the cultural perspective it looks like this or that kind of thing and that would be i mean did anybody have did Kroll show have a jamal in the room and for any of these i mean there is another very racially insensitive mexican prank call show oh i completely forgot what was that i think okay so in rich dicks they are like, oh, we have to call Consuela. And it's like, oh, it's Consuela's day off. They're made, right? Consuela is on the prank <sighs> show. Oh, I did not make that connection. And okay. so I think that was meant to be like, it's her day off. So she's going to work on this prank show. It doesn't make any sense. But it's, you know, the sh- it's a Mexican shock jock. Who Who's prank- played, played by, by Nick, Nick Kroll. Who, who is, is not, to my knowledge, Mexican. No, he's like a Long Island Jew. Like, okay. <laughs> which is, you know... It's a fine thing to be, but it's not yes. Mexican. Right. I mean, it's closer to what we are, right? But would we... 
Yeah, would... half of us is Long Island and the other half is Jew. Right. Um, that's true. That is actually true. So, um, <laughs> would you ever think that it would be okay to dress up like in a sombrero or whatever the he- heck he did and, and do this kind of and thing? And put on a fake Mexican... It was so... It was such a train wreck. It was such yeah. a train wreck. And it was so unfunny. There was no, there was no humor in it at all. Like, if it was funny, maybe at least, like, I I would have at least been like, I hate myself for laughing at this, but I'm laughing at it, but it wasn't funny. But it's like, okay, so did they have a Jose in the room to say, guys, <laughs> no, what, the sure he- did not. what the heck is this? Did they have an Asian person in the room to say, what the heck is this? I would love to see a breakdown of the writers on the show because I think we've figured out who, you know, and that's not, you know, I, I, I think, you know, somebody like Megan Amram, I think you're right that her jokes are probably the more. So there is a joke coming up later in Rich Dicks. Literally the only thing I laughed at in this entire episode. Me too. The only thing I laughed at in this whole episode was they go, they have to get toilet paper because they've, you know, pooped themselves they've- so much. So... <laughs> They go to a, All right, they, poop can be funny. All right, all right. So they go to a big box store. First of all, I will say they do a bunch of whippets, which is the only connection to me that I found between this show and The Good Place because um, What's-His-Face says about... Uh, well, some of the character actors are the sure, same. Sure, but... yeah, the character actors are the same. But in terms of the tone, when Pillboy says, at least he died doing what he loved, a bunch of whippets... <laughs> I was like, oh, whippets. I wonder if that's a Megan Amram through line. So they go to a bunch, they do a bunch of whippets and then they make fun of a kid, um, which felt weird. And then they yeah, go. This up, is an actual child, not a, an adult pretending to be right. a child. Like and in then Wheels, they, Ontario. And then they go to the gun counter. And like, this is the thing where, you know, we keep talking about how these shows, like a lot of them have a sensibility or a lot of them have something to say about America they or go to, literally about anything. Yeah, or about anything. And they go to a gun counter. And inside. I mean, it's supposed to be like a Walmart, basically. Yeah, it's supposed so to be they, like the gun counter inside Walmart. Yeah, which is a thing. It actually exists. And the guy... I don't even know if they're behind a counter at Walmart. I think they're just on the shelves I, and out. I don't know. I, I um, But there's a guy behind the counter... And he starts talking to these guys who clearly know nothing about guns, about like trying to sell them guns, and they're really I, and, into it. And they it. cast that guy really well. I mean, he really looks like he's an older white guy. He really looks like the kind of guy who might be working at a gun yeah. shop. Yeah. And he said, oh, I think the two of you seem like handgun guys, right? And they're playing with the handguns. And John Daly says, is there a waiting period for white people? And Kroll goes like, oh, that's a good question. And the guy behind the counter says, for white people? No. Yeah, and that was the only thing I was like, ha, that's a good joke. That's the only yeah. thing we laughed at. And I we, also liked when they said, you know, what what the Menendez brothers used to rightfully kill their parents. Yes. And he says, oh, well, and the guy without, you know, batting an eyelash is like, well, they use shotguns, but, you know, you, you probably want handguns or whatever. Yeah. So in, you know, looking at this through the lens of 2018, and we've gone through many, many mass shootings in the, in the meantime, it's... It's definitely like, and the difference, the the cultural difference, the societal difference between the way we treat white shooters and the way we treat shooters of any other race or nationality, that is a trenchant commentary. And in this situation is being delivered to us by people who are essentially absurd and, 
coast off of their privilege, right? We see them oh, yeah, later. Oh, yeah, it's super relevant to, like, the whole gestalt of this joke. Right, exactly. So, like, that's why it's funny. Because you have two guys who coast off their privilege. They get bailed out of prison. So they so John Daly accidentally shoots someone, and they end up going to prison. Non-fatally. He, like, shoots somebody's ear off, basically. Yeah, and they are immediately... Which, but again, I have to say, in the wake of another school shooting... Uh, even that was a little too much for me, but yeah. but it kind of enabled the the jokes, right? You know, at the end of the episode, so uh, okay, I guess they immediately get bailed out of prison by John Daly's father's character, and they are you know talking smack about everybody else who's in the holding cell with them until they you know once they get released, then they're immediately. I did put- kind of enjoy. I didn't find funny, but I kind of enjoy that John Daly told the white supremacist who was in the lockup with them, you know, f. Not they bleep it out, but F Hitler. Yeah, <laughs> as he was as he was leaving, I I was like, all right, <laughs> yeah, like even these guys know. Um, but like then they then John Daly really wants his cocaine back, and so they they throw him back in the holding cell, and then they're immediately bailed out again. So it's these two characters. the The whole point of their characters, and they get into more and more scrapes as the show goes on, are constantly being like are allowed to skate by based on their privilege. Not only are they white, but they're wealthy. And that's the commentary on, is there a waiting period for people like us? No, there's not. And you know what I heard recently, which I thought was so trenchant was someone said that one definition of privilege is like, who is allowed to make mistakes? Yep. And I was like, Oh, that's a good one. That's such a good one. Was it Michelle Obama? No, no, no. This was like something I saw on Twitter. I don't know who said it. You know, I'm sorry to the person who said it originally. I don't I don't have a credit on that. But I was at work and I was and so I, I do uh, work for the feds and I was reading somebody somebody was retiring and they kind of wrote this this like goodbye missive. And one of the things that this got this is a white male. Uh, one of the things he mentioned was that, you know, back when he was initially interviewed and he was given sort of like a psychological test before uh, being offered a job. He said that, so it was like a Scantron uh, psychological test. He said he got bored, which already I'm like, okay, okay, really? You got bored in the middle of this? But whatever. He got bored and he just bubbled in patterns on the Scantron. You know, just like, oh, I'm going to go diagonal this way and diagonal that way and up, down, all around, whatever. And then, of course, he has to talk to a psychologist who's like, oh, you bubbled in here that like sometimes you hear voices. You bubbled in here that, you know, sometimes you think about intercourse with insert whatever thing you want to imagine here and he was able to say oh i was just joshing around you know i just got bored and i just bubbled the things in and i was like this is such a perfect example of privilege is the is the ability to make mistakes because they saw in that case it's not even a mistake it's just he's like well i didn't feel like it (laughs) right right yeah it's 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 almost past a mistake right but that they looked at this white Christian man, and I do know that he is all of those things. I, he, I, he, they looked at this white Christian man. They go, he's probably fine, right? You know, he, yes, he bubbled in all these insane things, but uh, literally insane things. But uh, you know, I'm sure it's okay. I, we totally buy his explanation that he was just screwing around, and also we're not immediately disqualifying him for screwing around on a psychological exam that's a precursor to employment. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, I didn't mean to go off on a rant there. No, but but I think that's, I mean, that's the kind of larger point that I think, like, you see, I'm bringing it back to the show, you see, like, the diamonds in the rough of these episodes of, like, making a commentary about what it is to be 
like these guys are inherently absurd but like making a comment on on what it is to be an affluent white guy and have all of these you know you make a mistake you shoot somebody's ear off and you don't have to go to prison for it right you in in the case of this person who's retiring you don't take something seriously and you're still allowed to participate in it right and you know these characters they don't take you know they're they don't take seriously anybody else's lot in life right they basically go to a big box store because they think it'll be funny and they can make fun of other people and that's essentially oh, yeah what they're they say doing. something about big box stores or for pores or something yeah so like it's that is where i think i would be more interested in seeing more commentary like that or more sketches like that not that i think other kinds of sketches don't mean anything but even like the publicity sketches like in this episode publicity they're doing a an event for cultured yogurt water um which sounds disgusting oh i couldn't even i just the very thought i was like i have to sit down yeah but you know even if you know there is there would be at any point some kind of moment where somebody like all of their clients just sort of like kind of get railroaded into these big ticket get, events get railroaded into it but none of them ever sit, like have a moment of confrontation with them and say like you two are ridiculous right maybe that happens later i don't know but it's always like them very quietly doing a talking head later going like well everybody got sick or you know in the first episode it's like well i feel really foolish because i lost all this money and it's like there is a way maybe to kind of turn the trope on its head and like actually have a confrontation where somebody says you are ridiculous and be like the audience avatar. But instead they're just sort of like, they're not the focus of the episode. And so it's kind of like a weird, you know, the focus is we're supposed to infer that these women are ridiculous, but like there's no commentary other than, uh, other than that. You know, there's no commentary other than like Nick Kroll. Yeah, what are they trying to say? Exactly. They're trying to say that these women are ridiculous. The end. And there's nothing really about the circumstances that kind of create this monster of egomania. Right. Right. So, I mean, woof. <laughs> I know. It's such a it's such an incredible leap for me. So like again, I don't know Megan Amram. She has never spoken to me, but like We dream it does, about it. It does seem kind of like a strange trajectory to go from Parks and Rec to Kroll Show to the good place. I'm sure there were other like things in between that, right? Was but, Kroll Show before or after the good place for her? Or sorry, before or after Parks and Rec? Uh, I mean, you know the timeline of Parks and Rec better than I do, but I have. I think to the Parks and Rec after. episodes were later than this. <clears throat> okay, I'm gonna look it up. Kroll Show started on in January 2013. Ron and okay, Ron and Dan was uh, was 2012. Okay, so there you go. So everything I said before, everything I said before stands right. That that she wrote, she wrote for Parks and Rec, which is like. You know, whether or not I like it is irrelevant. It's this show that has this real heart and a very um, specific political point of view. I mean, yeah. when when uh, the 2016 election happened and we all were kind of trying to struggling to get out of bed, uh, I think it was Mike Schur who wrote a response from the persona of Leslie Nope. That right? was that gave me so much joy. <laughs> 
So, like, that Parks and Rec had this, like, very strong political uh, engine behind it. And I say The Good Place, it's not political per se, but The the Good Place is very invested in, you know, it has things to say. It has a lot of things to say, right? And Kroll Show seems to have nothing to say. So it's, it's, it's interesting how Megan Amram would have ended up, had kind of had that, that, you know, bounce from, from Michael Schur to Kroll back to Michael Schur. Yeah. I mean, I wonder. I also don't think it's a coincidence that Megan Amram seems to have written for the show for, for Kroll Show for one season and then bailed. Yeah. I mean, well, we don't know if she bailed or if there were other circumstances, right? Like, you know, but. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I would like to believe that she found a better opportunity. But yeah, that, that's, you're right. It's, I don't think it's a coincidence to, I mean, and look, if you th- think about it at the time, if you're a, I, again, no actual real life experience with this, but I imagine as a woman in a writer's room, this was six years ago, six, seven years ago. As a woman in, in who wants to be a television writer, I think there are more opportunities now with shows like, you know, Sam B's show has a lot of women in the writer's room. Seth Meyers' show has a lot of women in the writer's room. There are, you know, shows like Take My Wife, which I think is like all women uh, in the writer's room. And But six, seven years ago, maybe not as many opportunities for women. So it does look like on Kroll's show that there were a few other women. There was Jesse Klein, who I think I have Jessie Klein's hilarious. On The She's- Moth. She's also, she is the main girl character in Big Mouth. Ah, and also Chelsea Peretti was there. Who's also, is that Jordan Peele's wife? Yes, she is hysterical. Her Netflix special is great. And she's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is another Michael Schur show. Man, this is just like one big sort of incestuous family yes. of Canadians. <laughs> yes. Um, which is, you know, something that we see, like, we see the same, some of the same character actors bouncing around through all these different projects. And it definitely is like who you know and who you think is funny and that kind of thing. But so Jesse Klein is really, really funny. And she, like I said, is on Big Mouth and helped. She's friends with Mulaney. She's friends with Pete Holmes, who's another comedian, like, and they all love her. And Chelsea Peretti, obviously, you know, has had a, a pretty great career. And actually, we can. You know, last week when we recorded the episode, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine had just been canceled. Now it is moving to NBC for the sixth season. So uh, it will join the NBC Sherniverse, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think, you know, for women who are looking to be TV writers, maybe it was a sense of like, well, let me be like they when you're first. I think especially when you're first starting out, like maybe you try this because maybe it's not your style, but maybe you'll make some connections. I don't know. Or like, maybe you just want to work. And so saying that you got to work with Nick Kroll, whether or not that's your ultimate goal is like a good thing to have on your resume. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but next week we will do our, our last Amaramic of the Beautiful uh, episode about an Emmy for Megan, which is something that she did totally on her own. Uh, this is it's an Emmy for Megan means, you know, Megan Amram wants an Emmy for Megan Amram. And so she wrote it and produced it and all that. And I have no idea what it's about or what it's like. And I guess we'll find out. I don't care because I think it's going to be great. <laughs> and so I think is that our now last is- Megan Amram episode. I thought we had more. Well, we, we, we knocked one out with Avengers. 
So oh, okay. May, May is about to be over. Okay. So, and I don't really want to watch Children's Hospital, Children's Hospital, or Ant Farm. So, I feel pretty. I feel pretty good. That's fine. So now is the time if you have not seen Avengers to turn off your podcast, and we will see you next week. If you have seen Avengers or you don't care, then what was the thing that you wanted to say or that your friends wanted to so, contribute? I have a friend from work who doesn't care at all about superheroes and didn't care at all about superheroes until Black Panther came out. <laughs> and she loved Black Panther. And so she saw Avengers and she sent me an email that was like, just the title of it was, we need to talk. And I was like, oh my gosh, am I getting fired? Like, what's happening? <laughs> and... The body of the email was about this Avengers movie. (laughs) And I was like, okay. I was like, all right, what do you want to talk about? And she sent me like a whole list of things, most of which I think we had kind of talked about. But one of them that I thought was really interesting that I hadn't seen before, but that she said she immediately went home and like watched all the YouTube videos about like all the reviews and stuff was, and the speculation was that, you know how the Hulk like wouldn't come out the whole time? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So there's, I don't know if you've heard this, but there is apparently speculation that the Hulk is not really the Hulk, the or Bruce Banner is not really Bruce Banner. It's Loki. <laughs> and that Loki, when the Hulk was sort of rainbow bridged down to uh-huh. Earth, that Loki kind of switched forms or something or switched his life force to because he's a Loki's a trickster god so like he has oh no I, yeah I'm aware yeah shown up in other forms before so people think that the Hulk doesn't want to come out because it's not really Bruce Banner oh that's interesting because we do see him come out for like a hot second so it's not that he can't you know or whatever um, and then where's Bruce Banner with this theory a oh, god I don't know on. <laughs> the planet that he was in on Thor Ragnarok, which would be Ooh. very terrifying if that were the case. Huh. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, 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 I have no opinion about this. It would be real weird. Yeah, I agree. And I would not be amused if it was like, oh, and we, and like, that means Bruce Banner's dead, right? Like, yeah, that would, that no would thanks. not be great. Huh. Um. So yeah, that was it. <laughs> But I thought it was interesting because I was like, oh, I hadn't even, that hadn't even occurred to me. And apparently it's like a big theory online. Hmm. 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 Okay. I'm sorry that I didn't get more of a reaction. No, no <laughs> I'm I sorry just, I made you wait the whole time. Well, I, I don't know. Well, I, it's interesting. It just seems like such a random, <laughs> you know, wildly, like, you know, whatever. I get, I mean, look, comic books can do literally anything they want. That's so true. It could be true. Yeah. Lots of things could be true. I think people also like to make wild guesses because when they're if if they turn out to be right, people are like, "Oh, this is a prophet who walks among us." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's fun. Like people need to spend the next year doing something, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what? R- write a novel. Yeah. You know, take up swimming. Do, do something. Don't don't obsess about Avengers the entire year. Um, are we gonna do an episode for Solo? I mean, I've heard good things so far, so I, I see no problem with it. We could do it as the first thing in June, maybe. Okay, cool. And I know we're we're coming up on Ted Danson month, right? Just to let everybody know, I uh, watched. Oh no! <laughs> I watched the pilot episode of Cheers the other night because I was like exhausted. Is it streaming? Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix. Oh, sweet. I was exhausted, and I was just like, I just need something that I don't have to think about. And I was like, well, we're gonna watch 
some Ted Danson shows, so why don't I watch the pilot episode of Cheers? Just so I have some... I've never watched Cheers before. I know the sort of cultural moments from it, but I don't... I've never watched it. And at the end of it, I texted Marissa, and I was like, I think I am attracted to young Ted Danson. <laughs> oh, as boy. Sam, I, I think I'm attracted to Sam Malone, so this is going to be a very weird ride for me, guys. <laughs> mm. Mm-mm-mm. Mm. Well, uh, okay. Well, until, uh, <laughs> on that note. Yeah. Until next time. Sexy in the city for dudes. <laughs> we'll see you next time, Ding Dongs.